Thanks for tuning into this BGSM podcast. My name is Liam West, and I'm a member of the BGSM editorial team. I'm at the IOC conference in Monaco, and with me is Assistant Professor Catherine Schneider. Catherine works at the Sport Injury Prevention Research Centre at the University of Calgary and is a key player in the world of concussion research. So thanks for joining me today, Catherine. Oh, thanks for inviting me. So let's kick off. Can we screen our athletes to find out who might be at greatest risk of concussion? So I think that's a great question, uh, Liam. And I think that um, in one of the sessions here at the IOC, uh, we were looking at the role of um, cerebral and vestibular involvement in concussion and uh, looking at primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention of concussion. Uh, so primary prevention being prevention of a concussion before it occurs. Um, so preventing the concussions from happening in the first place. And ultimately, that would be our, our key goal in terms of decreasing the incidence of concussion. Uh, secondary prevention would be um, early detection, minimizing um, risk of re-injury in individuals that have a previous concussion. And then tertiary prevention um, is rehabilitation. So looking at how we can um, help individuals um, recover following concussion. So if we look from a primary prevention standpoint, um, there's some great work that's been uh, published in the past from a theoretical model standpoint by uh, Dr. Winnemay Wissa. Um, he initially published a model of uh, the etiology of sport injury in 1994, um, and then recently um, evolved that model um, in 2007. And basically you have your athlete that comes in, um, and each athlete um, or individual that you work with um, is exposed to different intrinsic and extrinsic risk factors. So intrinsic uh, risk factors would be those factors that are internal to the athlete. Um, so um, it could be things such as age. Um, we know individuals that have a previous history of concussion have a greater risk of concussion. Um, there's some literature to show that uh, in youth ice hockey, you know, individuals that are smaller size have a greater risk of concussion. Um, some of our previous work um, that we've published has shown that individuals that report symptoms of dizziness, neck pain, and headache um, have a greater risk of concussion in the season that follows, and that was in 11 to 14-year-old males. Um, then we also have extrinsic risk factors. So those extrinsic risk factors uh, are the, play, the game that's being played. It could be um, rules of the game. Um, type of session. So in a lot of different sports, there's evidence to show that gameplay has a greater risk of concussion than um, practice or dryline training. Uh, contact sports having greater risk um, than non-contact sports. So you want to take all those factors into play when, uh, when you're thinking of the risk um, of concussion with your athletes. Um, and a challenge is, is that it, this is a very multifaceted injury, so it's likely not one factor, but a multitude of factors. And you'll certainly see that in the literature where there's the, the research controls for multiple different aspects. A uh, particular area of interest to me is uh, the role of the cervical spine balance systems in concussion and concussion risk. So some of the work that our group has done has looked at um, treatment following concussion. So in individuals that have ongoing symptoms following concussion, and different treatment techniques. So we performed a randomized control trial that was published at BGSM in 2014, where we had individuals that had ongoing symptoms of dizziness, neck pain, and headache, and clinical characteristics that suggested the cervical spine and or vestibular system as a source of those symptoms. We treated individuals with a combination of 
cervical spine physiotherapy that was multifaceted in nature and included a variety of different individually targeted treatments, including um, neuromotor control exercises, sensory motor control exercises, um, and manual therapy, um, and other hands-on techniques as indicated, as well as an individualized program of vestibular rehabilitation. Um, that included a variety of different techniques, included um, gaze stabilization exercises where individuals work on maintaining clear vision on a target with head motion, habituation exercises where we work on desensitizing individuals to movements that provoke dizziness, um, regular or what's thought of as typical exercises for balance where you're standing and balancing, adding in single leg stands, eyes open, eyes closed, and gradually progressing those activities and adding in increasing levels of difficulty. Um, so you could add in catching a ball, add in head movement, add in a cognitive task, etc. Um, dynamic balance where you're actually moving around, having some head motion, um, turning, etc. So challenging the balance system a little more that way. And then canalith repositioning maneuvers, which are used for benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. Um, and some of the literature shows that approximately 5% of individuals that have persisting dizziness may have uh, BPPV. And that's similar to what we've seen in our studies and to some of the other um, studies looking at uh, persisting dizziness following concussion. So on behalf of BJSM, I want to thank you and the team for that fantastic work that you've published in 2014. And a quick note to the listener that we'll be putting that paper and the other literature that you've uh, mentioned so far during this podcast in the blurb below this. So can you take the listener through the principles of concussion prevention that you've been discussing here at the IOC? From a primary prevention standpoint, we're looking at uh, preventing the injury before it occurs, and in this case, that's concussion. Um, so ultimately, we want to decrease the incidence of concussion um, and decrease the overall public health burden um, from concussion. So when we have our athletes that come in, um, we know that there are certain factors that increase the risk of concussion. And when we're thinking from a primary prevention standpoint, the first thing that we want to look at is identification of risk factors. So from a risk factor standpoint, we know that individuals with a previous history of concussion have a greater risk of incident concussion. Some of the previous work that we published has found that dizziness, neck pain, and headache um, if individuals report those symptoms at the start of the season, they have a greater risk of concussion in the season that follows. So this is was an interesting finding, and based on these findings, um, we thought it would be really interesting to then move forward and start to investigate what the source of some of these symptoms might be, um, because the measure that we were using in our previous study was just reports um, of the symptoms on the SCAT. So, we actually moved forward and did a cohort study in elite youth ice hockey players between the ages of 13 and 17 years of age um, and have looked at a battery of different cervical spine and vestibular measures, balance measures, tasks of divided attention, um, to look and see how individuals score on these measures, what their behavior is like in a youth um, athlete population, because there's minimal literature published in this area. And then we've also followed these individuals forward over time. So we can actually see what the changes in these measures are following concussion and how they change with recovery. So we're currently yeah, working on further evaluating that data, but um, certainly found some, some interesting results that um, we hope we'll be able to share with uh, the reader soon. Um, and based on some of our findings, we're 
Um, now moving forward to start to look at um, what could we actually implement in terms of a prevention protocol. So we're taking some rehabilitation principles um, and applying um, these in a prehabilitation um, context where we're actually going to look at what are the effects um, and what is the feasibility of applying um, some different exercises in the preseason and how what effect does that have on risk of concussion. Um, and also, how do we progress these exercises in an uninjured population? So again, another area that we hope to, to share information with you at a later date. There is some literature that has shown that potentially a visual training program may be of benefit um, in the prevention of concussion. And there is some literature um, that has also shown that there's potential um, a correlation between neck strength and risk of concussion where a decrease in neck strength has demonstrated an increase in concussion risk um, in one study um, published by Collins et al. So there's also a fair bit of discussion in terms of what the role of the cervical spine is and I think this um, is an area that is actually a targetable area from a prevention standpoint um, and so if there is a way that we can work on preventing concussions um, this would be um, certainly an area worth further investigation because we could have a significant uh, public health impact in this area. Perfect. So that's primary prevention. Do you want to take us through your second prevention that we discussed during the topics? Sure. So from a secondary prevention standpoint, uh, we certainly want to look at early detection and how can we tell when a concussion occurs um, and detect that injury as soon as possible. So a challenge in the area of concussion is that um, individuals can present with a heterogeneous group of symptoms and there's no one specific test that's used um, from a diagnostic test standpoint. Um, so a multifaceted assessment is um, warranted and in many cases that can take into account multiple different aspects and what the literature shows is by taking into account symptoms plus a variety of different clinical domains, that's the way that we'll best be able to pick up when a concussion has occurred. Currently not published, but by the time you're listening to this, the Sport Concussion Assessment Tool 5 um, will be available. And this is certainly a multifaceted tool that takes into account a variety of different domains um, to be assessed following concussion. So the SCAT 5 is one tool that can be used um, to assist the practitioner um, from an assessment standpoint following concussion. As we know, concussion is an individualized diagnosis to be made by um, medical professionals. Some of our work is also focusing on looking at the role of the cervical and vestibular systems and balance systems following concussion and how can we actually detect when um, change has occurred. And that's, that's another focus of our ongoing studies um, to better understand the effects um, of concussion on these systems. Let's close the loop. Your tertiary prevention for concussion. Sure. So tertiary prevention is, in this context, we'll chat about it as rehabilitation. So facilitating recovery in individuals that have suffered a concussion. And certainly there's a variety of different areas that can be affected following concussion. Um, my primary area of clinical and research focus is looking at the role of the cervical and vestibular systems. And um, our previous work that we've published in the British Journal of Sport Medicine has demonstrated positive um, findings in individuals that were treated with a multifaceted physiotherapy program compared to rest followed by graded exertion. 
where the individuals that we treated um, were 10 times more likely to be medically cleared to return to sport. And if we include the two controls that dropped out of the trial, then we were nearly four times more likely to see individuals be medically cleared to return to sport within an eight-week time period. Some really promising results, and there's certainly more and more emerging literature in this area um, demonstrating um, positive outcomes with a multifaceted physiotherapy intervention protocol. There's also some emerging literature looking at the effect of low-level aerobic exercise and sub-symptom threshold aerobic exercise. Um, the majority of the literature showing positive effects following concussion um, to facilitate recovery, although as there um, is a little bit of discrepancy within that literature, um, but overall positive effects being shown. Um, so there's more and more literature in the area of rehabilitation following concussion, and as you'll be able to read in our systematic review that was written for the fifth international consensus on concussion in sport, and by the time you hear this will be published, um, that uh, there are some rehabilitation options following concussion, and uh, ultimately we need to be better at measuring what our outcome is, um, but using standardized protocols um, and higher quality randomized control trials so that we can really understand the effects of different rehabilitation techniques have um, on, on recovery following concussion. Well, I'm really looking forward to reading both your paper and all the other literature uh, that will be coming out in the BGSM soon on concussion and um, how we can potentially better manage it and hopefully prevent it. So thank you very much for your time, Catherine. Thank you very much for the opportunity to do the podcast with you. As I said previously, you are able to read all the literature. Um, we have hyperlinked it below in the blurb. If you'd like to follow the BGSM further, make sure you check out all of our social media channels. And that leads me to say I hope you have a great day full of physical activity.